Thank you for downloading this sermon from Heritage Baptist Church. We are so glad that you did. We believe that biblically faithful, Christ-centered, God-glorifying local churches are the primary means that God has chosen to expand His kingdom. If you are part of such a church, we hope that this message will supplement your spiritual diet. If you aren't yet part of such a church, we would love for you to visit us. For more details, please check out our website www.heritagebaptist.co.za Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, for work in every skilled craft. And so uh, we introduced to Bezalel here. He had a, a compatriot called Aholiab. So Aholiab and Bezalel were men that are mentioned in the Bible who were gifted by God to be able to do artistic work. You can see that here. Notice that it says he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs. And we're going to look at this a little bit more detail as we go through Second Chronicles, the importance of beauty and art and craftsmanship and how it's a gift from God uh, and how important it is to be a holistic Christian, to have uh, a good understanding of these things. But here Bezalel is gifted by the Holy Spirit to be able to create beautiful things, to be able to work in bronze and silver and he's the one who created this this altar and what the chronicler is doing is he is intentionally linking Solomon with Bezalel Bezalel was the one who built all the things in the tabernacle in the tent and now Solomon is going to build the temple and the chronicler is saying Solomon was gifted by God to do this work of building this new temple just as Bezalel was the one gifted by God to build the tabernacle. So God is gifting Solomon to now build this great temple to the Lord. And so there's an intentional link between Bezalel and Solomon. Now after they've done the sacrifices and Solomon goes to bed, that night God appears to him. You can see that in verse 7 back in Second Chronicles chapter 1. And the Lord says to him, ask what I shall give you. Isn't that amazing? You ever wish the Lord would? <laughs> maybe if you offer a thousand burnt offerings, I don't know, maybe. Uh, what do you want? He says to Solomon, what do you want? It's quite a, it's, a, it's, it's remarkable. It's an amazing barometer of what's in your heart, isn't that right? I, I'm sure every one of us, if you've ever watched Aladdin or read the book, and the genie comes and says, you know, you have three wishes. Okay. Which of us uh, or have not thought, you know, if I, if I was given three wishes, this is what I would, I would, I would do. 
Okay? And most of us would say things like, Lord, I need $100 billion. <laughs> and then we say, I would give quite a lot of it to the church. Uh, we just sort of sanctify our greed quickly. Um, but we, 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 we fantasize or we think about those kind of things. You know, what if, we, if that happened? Uh, imagine that did happen. What things would I ask for? And it really is a barometer. It reveals what is most important to us. And that's what God does to Solomon. He says, Solomon, what shall I give you? I want you to jump down to verse 11. Just to see what the Lord says. Uh, You know that Solomon asks for wisdom, but look how God answers Solomon. He says, because this was in your heart and you have not asked possessions... Wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you and have not even asked long life. Now really there's a list there that none of those things are bad in and of themselves, but they, they can become idols if they are ultimate things. It's not wrong to ask God for possessions to say, Lord, please, uh, could you provide a fridge or could you help with a car or could you... That's not sinful. We're not here to say asking for certain things is or anything other than wisdom is sinful. But what is ultimate? If God said to you, what is the most important thing that you would ask for? Be honest with yourself. What would you ask? Would you ask for possessions? I want more stuff. I want more things. More goodies. That's what I want. Uh, I want this, this car. If I just had this car, if I just had this house... If I had this holiday home, if I had uh, these shoes or whatever it is, uh, it depends how old you are and where you are in life, what's most important to you. Um, Or you say, wealth, I just want lots of money. I don't want to stress about money ever again. I want to be free from that. I want to just wake up in the morning and not have to worry and say, well, maybe I won't go to work today. And it's fine. I don't have to go to work. I have enough money in the bank. We, all, we love to read about these incredibly wealthy people, don't we, and the exorbitant amounts that they're worth and how, you know, how many billions of dollars they're worth. And then you read articles. I read an article years ago about Bill Gates, and it said if he dropped a hundred, I think it was a hundred dollar note, the amount of time it took him to stop, bend down, pick it up, and carry on would be a waste of his time because he would earn that more in interest in that two seconds, okay? So we, we think, well, if I just had more money and, and then we could do more, even in a, you know, in a spiritual sense, you think, Lord, we could do so much more. Just think what we could do. And so, you know, he could have said, look, we need, we need more wealth. Israel needs lots of wealth so we can look good to the other nations. That's what we need. Uh, we can do more. You know, we could say we could send out more missionaries. All of these things we could... That's the most important thing. The church needs more money. That's what we need. That's the most important thing. Or honor. Is that a bad thing to to say we want honor, to have respect, to have status? Again, not sinful in and of itself. If Solomon was to say, I want the people to respect me and to honor me. But if that's what you're living for, if you're living for those things, for status, for respect. If that's the first thing that comes to your mind, I want people to respect me. I want it when I walk into the office that people go quiet. 
and they wait for me to say something profound. Uh, uh, that's, that's what I want. I want respect. I want honor. Uh, you see, if you live for any of these things, listen to what the author David Foster Wallace said, if you worship money and things, if they are where you, you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough. You'll never feel you have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure. You see, that's really what he says. Long life. Long life, you could put under that vitality, health, beauty, strength, looks. But you worship that, you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Worship power you'll end up feeling weak if you, all you're chasing after is status and you want people to respect you. You'll always feel weak and afraid and you'll need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Now, this man is not a believer, but he understands human nature. He understands that these things cannot satisfy. And sadly, this man committed suicide uh, a short time after he, he, he said this. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. See, so what, if, you, if God said, what do you want? Examine your heart, what is the ultimate thing that you would want? And it reveals really where you're at. It reveals what's most important to you. But Solomon says... In verse 10, give me now wisdom and knowledge. Lord, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may know how to govern this people of yours. And so the Lord says to me in verse 12, look, because you've asked for this, and you haven't asked for all those other things, I'll bless you with, with wealth and status and all of these things as well. And then verses 14 through 17 are really given to show us that this promise is fulfilled. God blessed Solomon with tremendous wealth. So we're told about his chariots and his horsemen and chariot cities and silver and gold were as plentiful as stone in Jerusalem. Okay. He made silver and gold just to, to run in the streets. Incredible wealth entered into, into Israel and into Jerusalem. He took cedar trees, these majestic trees from from Lebanon, incredibly valuable, and he made it as common as the sycamore. And then they begin to trade, and that's one of the ways they make wealth, as you can read here. They buy horses, and then they sell them on to other, other kings. And so through trading, wealth increases in, in Israel and in Jerusalem. And so God honors him because he's asked for wisdom and knowledge. Well, that's the passage, and that's what's going on there. The chronicler is, is uh, showing God's blessing upon Solomon and that the Davidic line is being honored and that God's people must be encouraged by that. But how does it apply to us today, nearly 3,000 years later? Us in the 21st century. Well, the New Testament picks up on, on some of these, these uh, principles and some of these passages and I want to look at two aspects. The first is building God's kingdom. That's the, the first way. 
So in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul here picks, some, picks up on language from the Greek Old Testament. The very phrase, skilled master builder, was applied to Bezalel. And as we've seen, Solomon is a new Bezalel, a skilled master builder who is now going to build a temple. And Paul says, I am a skilled master builder. I'm building the temple of God. But as we've seen, if you've been coming, hopefully you know this by now, the temple of God is the people of God. Not a building, but all those who belong to Christ. We are the temple of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, Paul says, I'm a skilled master builder. Now what does he do? He He said, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. So Paul, as an apostle, laid this foundation, okay? not a physical foundation, not a literal foundation like that. The foundation is Jesus Christ. He actually says that in verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So as an apostle, and this is, this is, this is quite important, this is just a, a side note, but... Um, it's one of the most common questions I get when we do School of the Bible, when I'm at teaching at seminary, uh, wherever. People say, are there still apostles and prophets? Are there still apostles and prophets? Here we see apostles had a job to do. They laid the foundation. When you build a house, how many times do you lay the foundation? <laughs> Once, hopefully, okay? <laughs> Unless you mess it up. But the apostles were gifted by God to lay that foundation. That was their ministry. They were supernaturally gifted to do that. The foundation has been laid. There are no more apostles. That ministry is finished. It is now those who now build on that foundation as we continue to build the kingdom of God. No more apostles, no more laying of the foundation. It is done. It is completed. We have it in the New Testament writings. The foundation of Jesus Christ, this is what we need. It is sufficient for life and godliness. And we don't need to go looking after apostles and all these kind of things. We have God's word. We now are still here and we must continue to build the church of Jesus Christ on the foundation that has been given to us. And we must take care how we build. Notice that's what he says, let each one take care how he builds upon it. How are you building the kingdom of God? Are you taking care? Or is it, I I just come to church on Sundays. That's that's what I do. I just come to receive and and then I go home. Uh, No, all of us are called to build the kingdom of God. We've seen this already throughout Chronicles. God has given us gifts and abilities We are to be building the kingdom of God and to take care how we do it. To make sure that we are are, uh, showing fruit of the Spirit, bearing one another's burdens, loving one another, building Christ in one another. Let our speech be seasoned with salt. That we encourage people. Build them up. That we are faithful to God's word in 
We're not just talking rubbish. And then the, James probably has Solomon in mind and this passage that we just read when he tells us to ask for wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 5. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So you and I need wisdom. How do we... How do we live in this world? How do we live as God's people? How do we flourish as God's people? And ask God for wisdom. Pray every day, I would say, and ask God, God, give me wisdom today. You know that every day you come across situations that you've never experienced before. You know that there are situations where there's not a, ver a black and white verse where you can just apply it. That's why we need wisdom. It's one of the main you know, problems. There's many problems with legalism. But one of the things is that you don't need wisdom to be a legalist. You just make everything black and white. That's wrong. That's right. Okay? It's easy. And then you can just be self-righteous and look down on everyone else who sees it differently. Okay? You don't need wisdom to be a legalist. You just go around saying, can't do that, can do that. But wisdom is, is, you need, and we're going to see this, you, it, you need to be in relationship with God to get wisdom. How do I bring the, the principles in Scripture to bear on this situation? There isn't a direct verse for this. The internet is not in the Bible. What do you... But the principles are in God's Word. How do we live in this life, in the 21st century, in our, in our different spheres and everything that we experience? We need wisdom. And James says, ask God. Solomon asked God. You and I must ask God for wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom. And what a wonderful promise. God gives generously to all without reproach. reading the commentators and they say what that means is without reproach is that God doesn't, doesn't keep saying you, know, you were such an idiot last week, you were such an idiot he doesn't keep bringing that up without reproach he gives it, there is wisdom but we are told we must ask with faith trusting God what that means is you're committed to obeying what the wisdom that he gives you, that you're going to submit to it not double minded not other idols, not having a divided heart, chasing after other things, but you committed to Christ and his ways. And so we're to build God's kingdom. We're to seek for wisdom. And then we must pray for each other that each one of us would, would grow in wisdom. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says this to the the churches. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And how does he pray for them? That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. In the knowledge of Jesus Christ, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And what you're in, and he goes on and is, is this beautiful 
sentence, it's one sentence, um, but he says this, he's saying that he prays for them. And we should be praying for one another that we would have a spirit of wisdom. Fathers, pray for your family. Pray for your brothers and sisters in the, the church that God would give us, our children, our spouses, ourselves, discerning people. And what does he want them to know here? That we would know the hope that we have. Okay? Isn't that half our problem? We, don't, we forget the hope that we have, the inheritance that we have. You know that saying, that person's so heavenly minded they know earthly good. Well, the Bible teaches the opposite, doesn't it? It says, if you want to be earthly good, you have to be so heavenly minded. You have to be thinking of the hope that you have in Christ and the power that is at work in you. That's what he goes on to say. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in you and me if you're a believer. And so when you get up tomorrow, Monday morning, and the trials will come and the tribulations will come, remember the hope that you have. It's not like this forever. And even now there is the same resurrection power working in you so that you can endure and flourish and overcome. So be praying for one another. Lord, give my, my brother, my sister wisdom. And you know when you're bearing one another's burdens then you're going to find out about the, the problems that each one is facing. And you know, it's, we can look at people and think, oh, they, you know, it's all fine for them. But you know, when you start to walk a road with people, you realize, oh, actually, there's this, there's that, there's sickness. This person's actually in constant pain, yet I never knew that. They have a child, a rebellious child. They have unsaved loved ones. They have a really difficult work situation. They have trauma from all sorts of things. All of those things. And then what, do you, what can you pray? Lord, give them wisdom. Give them wisdom as they walk this road. Give them your grace. And so that's the first aspect. How does this apply to us? Well, let's be like Solomon and say, Lord, give us wisdom, please, to build your kingdom. Wisdom uh, to to love one another and, and that we're praying for one another and that we're building God's kingdom just as Solomon is going to build the temple that we are imitating Paul. Paul was the one who, a master builder. God gifted him to lay that foundation perfectly, once for all laid, and that we would build wisely. You know, you know that a slight deviation off a straight line, even if it's just one degree, it's very slight in the beginning, but... You keep drawing it out, and eventually it's miles away, isn't that right? You hear those stories of, of a captain who gets lost, and it's only, it's only a one degree off the compass, and he can end up hundreds of kilometers away from his destination. And so it's the same. If there's a deviation from God's word in our theology, who knows in a century's time where, where we'll be? And so that God would give us wisdom, that we would build wisely, By God's grace, this church will endure until the Lord returns. 
because we built wisely on the, on the true foundation, Jesus Christ. But there's more. And this is amazing. This is the second point. Wisdom is a person. Wisdom is a person. Jesus Christ. Paul says this to the Corinthians as well. In fact, a lot of the, the Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, is about wisdom. Uh, they were Greeks, and the Greeks were very concerned about wisdom. The, the, the Greek philosophers, lovers of, of knowledge. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, they wanted to figure out how does life work? How do you form the, the best city? What are the best ways to run a city? Uh, what is beauty? What is truth? What is goodness? All of those things, they were, they were very concerned about wisdom and knowledge. And Paul just decimates it. He says, look, the, and it's the same today. There's so many voices, aren't there? There's so many, especially with, with uh, social media and blogs and the internet. We, we, it, we can hear everyone's voice now, okay? And so there's so many voices saying, this is wisdom, this is the wise way, this is the way to go. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians, no, true wisdom is only found in the person of Jesus Christ. And in fact, he says this, in verse 24, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. Later on in the same chapter, verse 30, he says, because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. Proverbs chapter 8 personifies wisdom. And throughout church history, we've seen that Proverbs 8 is talking about Jesus Christ. He is the personification of wisdom. So ultimately, wisdom isn't so much about what you know, but about who you know. Okay? There's a lot of practical advice in the Bible. A lot of practical advice, and a lot of unbelievers can do that practical advice, can fulfill it. There's a lot of unbelievers who live frugally and wisely financially. There's a lot of unbelievers who know how to invest in the stock exchange. There's a lot of unbelievers who know how to be punctual and use their time well look after their bodies, eat properly, exercise, etc. But they're damned. It doesn't save them. And so here the wisdom is more, much more than that. We're not against any of that, and, and that's part of growing in holiness and all of those things. But true ultimate wisdom is to know Christ. He is wisdom. It's to be in relationship with him. Jesus himself, when he came, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount in the evening. At right at the end, in chapter 7, Jesus says, this is the wise person. The one who hears my word and obeys it. That person is like someone who builds their house on a rock. The fool, the Greek word is moron, okay, is the one who builds their house on the sand. And it's very important to, to understand this. Jesus says there, he says, it's the person who hears my words and doesn't obey them. That's the fool. Okay. 
So he's talking about people who hear his words. He's not talking about pagans out in the middle of nowhere who, who never heard the gospel. It, it might be you here. You hear the God's words, but you don't listen. You're building your house on the sand. My gran has a, has a, a, a flat in Belito. And um, I don't know if you remember, I can't remember how many years ago it was now, but there was that like tsunami and um, a whole lot of houses washed away. There were these huge houses. They were building right up onto the, the waterfront. And uh, you can still go there. And there are leftover half houses, mansions, double-story houses, because they built on the sand. And that storm came, wiped out. It was such a graphic image of what Jesus is talking about here. And what is the storm? The storm is judgment. The day of judgment is coming when, when your life will be tested. And if you've built your house on the sand, on the false wisdom of this world and your own cleverness, your life will come crashing down. But if you built it on the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, it will stand because Christ bears the storm for us. Isn't that what a rock does? You see those lighthouses that are built on rocks. The storms come. The rock gets smashed. The lighthouse is okay. That's the gospel. The rock got smashed. Christ got smashed by the wrath of God so that you and I can stand Jesus says in Matthew 12 that he is a greater than Solomon. I was going to ask, you know, who's the wisest person in the Bible? I didn't want to embarrass anyone though, because probably many of us would have said Solomon. Okay. It's not true. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, the wisest man to ever live. He is our wisdom. You need to be in relationship with him. If you are, keep crying out for wisdom every day. If you don't know him, humble yourself. I read this African proverb during the week. If you fill your head with pride, there will be no space for wisdom. Okay. If you fill your head with pride, there will be no space for wisdom. That's the truth. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Unless you humble yourself, acknowledge your sin, say, Lord, forgive me for being a fool and going my own way, Give me Christ, save me. He will do that and you will know wisdom, capital W, wisdom. You will know the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we do cry out to you that you would give us wisdom. Forgive us for so often not asking you for wisdom, trying to figure everything out ourselves. You tell us to come to you, to ask for wisdom, and you give liberally, Lord, generously, without reproach. And so we do, we do do that this morning, Lord. Please give us wisdom. Give us Christ. We want to know him more and more. We want to love him more and more. We want to obey him more and more. Lord, we pray for any who don't know you, Lord Jesus. Um, 
that today the spirit of wisdom would work in their hearts and minds. Grant them true faith and repentance. May they build their lives upon the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we do pray that you would help us as we build on this foundation. We pray for all faithful churches, Lord, that they would build with integrity and honestly and faithfully with gold, silver, and precious stones and not wood, hay, and stubble. time we have communion is from 1 Corinthians 11, uh, where Paul says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed,